Science Friday is supported by Progressive. Now, most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's a fascinating way to study the human brain. It sounds a bit like science fiction. We're talking brain organoids. Simply put, a brain organoid is a miniature replica of the human brain. It's Wednesday, January 17th, and yep, you guessed it, it's Science Friday. I'm sci-fi producer Shoshana Buxbaum. Brain organoids are clusters of human brain cells grown in the lab. More and more, they're being used to better understand brain disorders, and eventually they might even help develop better treatments too. Ira Flito talks with a neuroscientist who created a new brain organoid model, which mimics the cerebellum. Dr. Giorgia Quadrato is an assistant professor of stem cell biology and regenerative medicine at the University of Southern California, based in Los Angeles. Welcome to Science Friday. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so nice to have you because you you work on something really exciting, which I want to get right into. What exactly is an organoid and how do you grow brain organoids in the lab? Yes, uh, simply put, a brain organoid is a, a miniature replica of the human brain. And uh, to grow uh, this brain organoid, we start from human pluripotent stem cells. And uh, these are cells that have the capability to differentiate into any cell type of our body. So we start with those. We uh, make aggregate, small aggregates of these pluripotent stem cells. And then we uh, use some chemical factor to differentiate them into different brain tissue. So the size of these organoids is about two millimeter. So they are really, really tiny. Is that like a grain of rice or something like that? Yeah, it's like, uh, I would say like a lentil. Mm -hmm. So typically we can culture them up to one year. Over time, they don't only survive in culture in our laboratory. They actually keep on changing much like our brain does. So they keep on develop, you know, new cell type, new type of neurons. So you can coax these stem cells into becoming one kind, a certain kind of brain cell, and you're talking about the cerebellum, correct? Yes, yes. Why? Why are you so interested in that? Actually, most brain organoids have been generated to model the cerebral cortex, but my lab is particularly interested in generating cerebellar organoids because the cerebellum is a very fascinating structure of the brain. So first of all, um, not many people know that about 80% of our neurons of our brain are actually localized in the cerebellum. So it's a real powerhouse. Wow. I would have not known that. Yeah, it's a very high computing power because, you know, 80% of neurons are there. Classically, 
has been always defined as responsible for the execution of like locomotion or for keeping balance. But actually, in the last few years, has become more and more evident that the cerebellum is very important also for controlling, for example, emotional responses and behavior, reward behavior. So in general, cognitive function. And also something that is very interesting about the cerebellum is that during evolution has changed a lot. So for example, if we compare the cerebellum of uh, animals in the great ape clade with the cerebellum of a human, they are quite different. And uh, so this is, I think, very interesting, especially if we compare the cerebellum with other brain structure, because other brain structure didn't really change so much throughout evolution. Instead, the cerebellum did. And so this really speaks for the ability of the cerebellum perhaps to be responsible for some of the function that really makes us human. And so this is why we are very much interested. We believe that problems in the cerebellum can actually also um, lead to neuropsychiatric uh, disease, which is something that is uh, very much of interest for my laboratory. So we're really much interested in modeling neuropsychiatric disorders. And uh, are you cultivating a certain kind of cerebellum cell? Actually, so what I think is exciting about uh, this new research from, from my laboratory is that we have been able to generate a cerebellar organoids that contain all the main cell types that we have in the human cerebellum. So they are really all there. In particular, we are very much excited that we've been able to generate some progenitor cells that have been recently associated with the the pathogenesis of medulloblastoma, that is one of the most common pediatric cancers. And also, I think the most important relevant innovation in our organoids is that we have been able to generate Purkinje neurons. So these are specific neurons um, of the cerebellum that are among the largest neurons in our brain. And uh, these neurons are affected by different type of uh, Issues. For example, they can be affected by toxic exposure. For example, alcohol or lithium can damage Purkinje neurons. They are also damaged in uh, some genetic condition, for example, for cerebellar ataxia, and also in um, individuals with intellectual disabilities or autism spectrum disorders, we see problems and the generation of these Purkinje neurons. And and so you you think maybe you can by understanding the cerebellum and the Purkinje neurons better, perhaps find treatments for those kinds of illnesses. Yeah, exactly. So this is really our final goal: is really to now that we are able to generate Purkinje neurons in vitro, so we can really use them to screen for new therapies. So first of all, understand better this disease and then trying to find new therapeutics. Basically, before uh, we published this work, previous um, research was able to generate Purkinje cells, but only co-culturing them with mouse cells, uh, other type of mouse neural cells. The beauty about our system is that they they develop in an all-human system. And so all the cell types in this cerebellar organism are human. And this is important for uh, screening therapeutics that then can be used in human beings. That's interesting. And, and because you have human cells, you can get a much better comparison than you would, let's say, using mouse brain cells here. Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously using mouse uh, models, it's very important to understand disease. 
and these are you know in vivo models so they have their advantages but i think what's the beauty of about these human cerebellar organoids and human cell based assays in general is that we really can replicate the human genetic background so for example for neuropsychiatric disorders the genetic of the person that is affected by the disorder is very important if the same mutation in the same gene can really lead to completely different clinical manifestation in two different individuals. Because, and this is due to the fact that different individuals have different genetic background. So it is very important to develop models in which we can replicate the genetic background that then leads to basically the, the clinical manifestation and so the development of some of these neuropsychiatric disorders. Is the idea that you might take individual cells from people and use their own stem cells so that the genetics is very close to that person and then craft an organoid? Uh, Is this personalized medicine or not? Or is this just basic research? This is really, uh, I think, one of the most important points that you brought up. Our ability with these human-induced pluripotent stem cells to really do personalized medicine. So yes, we basically, we can, if we have a patient, for example, with a certain disorder that we want to study, we can take somatic cells from this patient, which means, for example, skin cells or blood cells, and then revert them to pluripotency. So we can make stem cells, pluripotent stem cells out of these. And then uh, these cells will actually retain the genetic background of of the person, obviously. And so we can make mini replica of the brain of that specific person. And so we are able, you know, to then understand the disease of that person very well. And, uh, you know, Ideally, what we would like to do to understand what went wrong, you know, in the development of the brain of a specific person is to go back in time and look at how, you know, that brain developed in the womb. Obviously, we cannot do that, but we, what we can do is grow a brain organoid and see how it develops. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is personalized medicine. Okay, so everybody who hears this, right, is going to want to know, how do I take advantage of that when... Will it be available for me or my loved ones who may be suffering from some kind of illness? We're years away, right? Yeah, I think, you know, we are years away and there are all these issues also, um, ethic issues related to informed consent, how we deal with this information that we generate from things related to privacy. And so there is a lot that we need to work out for this. And also it's a matter of cost. Ah, cost. We've never heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) You love working on the cerebellum, and that's what your lab is working on, creating organoids which mimic that part of the brain. Mm -hmm. Now, there have got to be other people working on different parts of the brain, right, to make organoids for those. Here I'm thinking, is it possible to link all of them together so they can all work similar to how our actually whole brain works? Yeah, so this is a really fantastic question. Um, actually, in my lab, we also work with other brain organisms from other brain regions, and we are already thinking along this line. There are some other laboratories that have been um, fusing organoids from different brain regions to study communication between different brain regions. 
we think that there is a lot of improvement that uh, we can actually, we need to work on this so that we can, so the goal for us is to connect these brain organoids in a way that resemble connection in the actual brain. And, uh, and again, I think to be able to achieve this, we need to bring in people with expertise in tissue engineering, which is what, what we are doing. There is really a big opportunity in really connecting organoids from different brain regions. Because, for example, if we, there are some diseases that affect only specific brain regions, but we are unable sometimes to discriminate and to understand which brain region is actually causing the disease because brain regions communicate with each other. And so ultimately, when we look at an MRI or some functional imaging, we see that there is a problem in multiple brain regions, but we cannot understand which, from which one the problem is stemming. Organoids really give us the opportunity to sort of mix and match brain organoids uh, from, for example, healthy individuals that do not have the disease. So we could use, for example, a, an organoid that is healthy and then um, link it to an organoid that is disease and, so, and then do the contrary and basically try to understand which brain region is, um, is basically important for causing the disorders. So I, I think this is very um, important. Wow. How exciting is this for you to be able to do this? Yeah, it's... It's really super exciting. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really think if we think about neuropsychiatric disorders that I said are really very complex from a genetic point of view, in the last like 70 years, we really haven't been able to come up with effective treatments for these disorders. And as I said, I think one of the main reasons is the incredible complexity of the genetic of these disorders. So I think now with these organoids, we really have the opportunity to understand a lot more about this disease. And so I'm very excited. This is fascinating, Dr. Quadrato. This was just terrific. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Dr. Georgia Quadrato, Assistant Professor of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. That's it for today. A lot of folks helped make the show happen, including Nahima Ahmed, Emma Gomez, Sandy Roberts, Robin Kasmer, and many more. Tomorrow, mapping the human brain's billions of cells. We're talking about the Human Brain Cell Atlas. I'm Shoshana Buxbaum. Catch you then. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>